and welcome to this episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. I am your host, Abby Cox. Lauren is not joining us today because she is in Nevada and I am in Virginia, so instead I have Miss Samantha McCarty joining me today. Say hi, Samantha. Hi. <laughs> and we are going to talk about Civil War morning clothes for women today. Well, I first presented on it in 2014. Oh my gosh, that was so long ago. It was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) But it has always been a passion of mine. That was just Mm -hmm. the first time where I kind of solidified the research that I'd been doing and shared it with other people. Yeah, so it's been several years now Mm -hmm. that you've been going down that dark rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Dark, dark rabbit hole of morning. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, Yeah. You ready? Sure, let's do it. Excellent. Um, So... To get started, um, let's just talk about the different stages of mourning for okay. women because it seems very convoluted and <laughs> complicated and overwhelming for those of us who do not participate in Civil War history or Civil War dress or 19th century dress in general. So what are the stages of mourning? Uh, sure. Well, I think your your confusion is very valid because... When you look at the primary sources talking about the different stages of mourning, even they aren't clear. And I guess I should be very, very specific that my research has focused on the mid-19th century. Can you give years? Because I really yes, didn't absolutely. You said Civil War, That's but right. there might be people who... <laughs> right, this is the Civil American War? <laughs> Civil War, not the English Civil War. Um, totally different. We could talk about that too, We though. could, we could. So, obviously, American Civil War spanning 1861 to 1865... But for the purposes of my research, I go a little bit before into the 1850s and a little bit after 1867, but not too much. But going earlier helps to give context to what the women, the women who were alive in 1861 would have grown up in the 50s. So just kind of understand where they're coming from. So with that being said, the mourning being practiced in the 1860s is very different from what you'll see even in the 70s and the 80s of the 19th century. So when I talk about sort of the customs and the fashions, I don't want those to be extended into the later Mm. 19th century or vice versa to say, well, you know, these 1880s rules, Mm -hmm. those actually don't apply to the 1860s. It's, we have a tendency to do that in fashion mm-hmm. history, where it's it's like pan nineteenth century, right. pan eighteenth century. Exactly. It's like, and then it gets kind of weird because we know this. It's just how we live our lives today, where what our mothers did or our grandmothers did in the nineteen fifties or sixties or even seventies is completely oh, yeah. different than how we interact with the world today. Right. And those social mores and customs cannot be applied to the twenty first no. century or even what was normal in like two thousand and two. Compared to today, it's very different. So it's the same Absolutely. thing for the for the long past as well. So yeah. I thank you for clarifying. Yeah, no, that's just it's. I think it's really hard too because we think of the Victorian era mm, as mm-hmm. a singular thing, mm-hmm. when in reality a lot changed in Victoria's reign. I mean, oh god, yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> just in fashion, but in all sorts of ways, and so. I don't want people to come back and say, well, I found this in mm. this 1885 source. Well, I'm specifically looking at these. Okay. Years. So to start with that. Mm-hmm. So stages of mourning, which I think <laughs> is where we started with yeah. this. Um, you really see full mourning, also called deep mourning. Um, so those are essentially one in the same. They're basically 
the first stage that you'll enter into if you're going to be mourning somebody for an extended period of time. And that specifically is for people who are very close to you as a woman. That's going to be your husband, your parents. Um, it could be siblings. So again, those are very, very close mm -hmm. um, familial relationships. Mm -hmm. um, from there, you'll move into the even more confusing <laughs> section of light mourning, also called half mourning. And the period sources use those words interchangeably. Often in Godi's, you'll see the term light mourning thrown out. Um, so, you know, there are stages at this point in the 1860s but they aren't as regimented as you're going to see later on in the period. They're not dividing it up as rigidly as you'll see later on. Oh, interesting. And not at all confusing to be like, half no. morning, light morning. <laughs> exactly. Like, so, what does this mean? Right, they're just being used interchangeably. So the idea with these stages is that your clothing and your behavior are going to reflect where you are emotionally in the grieving process. Mm. So let's say you are a woman whose husband has died at the Battle of Bull Run. Pulling that one out of the air. Whoa. <laughs> didn't even go for Gettysburg. No, we for like, no. We're, yeah. we're right at the beginning. So you can enter into full mourning or deep mourning. This is the deepest part of your grief. It is all black everything, which I know is a, a hashtag on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> hashtag all black. Seriously. Everything, all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And that is a reflection of your absolute deepest, darkest grief. And the hope is that as your emotional wounds heal, um, as your grief lessens, then you'll begin to lighten your clothing as a reflection mm -hmm. of this. So by the time you get to light half mourning, about a year later, then you'll begin to add in the colors like white, if that's a color. <laughs> gray shades of purple or lavender mm -hmm. in there as well interesting yeah interesting so it's it's i like i actually really like the idea because half morning is kind of like i'm halfway through the sad time exactly i'm almost there but like light morning actually kind of it visually helps carry it it through. does especially it if does. you think like deep morning so then it's like deeper color and or the absence of color yes really the absence <laughs> and then going to light morning is there a, a cultural significance as to why purple and lavender and, and mauve were maybe preferred over, say, like uh, blue or right. green? That's or... a great question. And as far as I've found, I have actually not found a specific mm. um, reason that's given, which is interesting because they, the writers of the period do a lot of reflection on mm. mourning fashion. Mm. And they'll say, you know, black has been considered the color of mourning since the ancient times or things like that. So they are very self-aware in an interesting way um, to the point where some writers question the validity of mourning clothes altogether. There's a concern that by wearing mourning clothing, you might be too focused on the, you know, the mortal world and you're not as concerned about the person who's died about well, now they get to 
go to heaven and be with God. Mm-hmm. And that's something that should be celebrated as opposed to being so, you know, stuck mm-hmm. in your own grief. Yeah. There's also a concern specifically during the Civil War, um, in some cases that it could be um, bad for morale. Mm. to see so many people. Well, that's people. like what happened during the Revolutionary War. And, exactly. And they were like, so everybody's dying. Right. We acknowledge this. We all can't wear black crepe mm-hmm. every day. So. And I think they bring this up too as well, that it's an extra expense Yeah. Um, that, you know, many people can't afford or they shouldn't be spending extravagantly right, spend on these sorts on of things. Instead, they should be helping the war effort mm-hmm. or, or other things like that. So mm-hmm. they're... I don't want to give the impression, and I think it is one of those myths that, of course, everybody went into full. into full mourning, you know, regardless of your station or the or their circumstances. When in fact, you know, there's this, there's sort of this um, ideal that exists um, where, oh yes, the woman will seclude herself, she will wear all black. Mm-hmm. When it when the reality is that. A woman's economic situation, mm-hmm. her geographical situation, um, those things, her religious situation. For example, Quakers don't wear mourning at all. Oh, fascinating. The, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, so they do not put on mourning um, in the Civil War. Mm. And um, so those sorts of things are more strongly going to influence whether or not a woman will put on mourning than this kind of ideal, you know, social customs yeah that makes sense that makes sense. it kind of makes me reminds me of the fact that i just had this visual image when you're talking about it. it's like if every woman went into mourning in the exact way that magazines talk about or what our viewpoint of mourning is or queen victoria's level of mourning <laughs> that she never bothered to get out of it really would be like you're in the movie a woman in black all day every day and it's just daniel radcliffe's like complete and total nightmare pretty like much. <laughs> pretty much all day yeah. it wouldn't be very pleasant to exist in that in no, that sphere at all. It wouldn't, and that's definitely a concern. Mm. So how long does it last? That's an morning. excellent how question. Long, how long can it last? <laughs> I guess this is the better question since well, it's gonna be different for everybody. Right. And you brought up Queen Victoria. For her it mm-hmm. never ended. <laughs> all day, every day. <laughs> exactly. So she mourned her husband Prince Albert for the rest of her life. Um, there's a great a gr- excuse me, a great quote in Godie's where they have sort of a you know, you can write in for advice mm. and the, the writers will write you back. Someone must have asked about mourning because the writer says, um, you know, they got a question about what is the proper length of time. And the writer basically says, well, some people don't mourn at all. And some people carry it on to excess yeah. is what he says. And that's just such a great example of how personal mourning is and that Mm. also is something i think people forget Mm. they forget that it really is something that is supposed to be for the people grieving yeah it is not to show off to society it is not because society requires it of you it is a mechanism which is supposed to help the bereaved person experience and understand their grief and to let people around them know how to interact with them. That's that's a really beautiful concept behind it because it is, I th- I, and I mean, I, I did this and, and you know, you know this because we're friends. I'm not an expert in 19th century fashion. I'm definitely not an expert in civil war. It's a completely unknown territory for me, but, it, you know, from whether it's movies or books or 
TV shows or anything like that or just your your assumptions is that it is a societal norm that has been placed upon mostly women because men didn't have mourning in the same capacity that right. women met, that women did um, due to sometimes like societal reasons and, and whatnot but it, it did always almost feel like it was this semi-oppressive societal pressure put on women to behave a certain way and we can probably go back and blame gone with the wind for that <laughs> like because we can blame gone with the wind for so right. much yeah. <laughs> um hashtag 18 inch waists <laughs> uh, but it, it wasn't it was it's supposed to actually be a healing process you know back in the days where you couldn't necessarily go to a therapist exactly. to talk about it or 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 a doctor to talk about it that it was something that you could you could do it on your own time in your own way and your clothing helped communicate like you said how society interacts with you so it's not how you interact with society mm-hmm. it's how people will treat you exactly. so it's actually a much it's you explaining it, it makes it sound like it's actually a very healthy process um something that i think a lot of us don't necessarily experience today absolutely like and maybe it's because they were so used to death occurring. It was a much more common occurrence in the past because mm-hmm. of lack of antibiotics <laughs> right. and things it, like that. It's, it it's, definitely, it's such an interesting thing to think about today because the people of the past, you know, talking about the, the Civil War, they're much more open about death than we are today. Mm-hmm. And... I hate that I can't remember who explained it to me this way because I think it's brilliant. But, you know, we think about the Victorians. They, you know, heaven forbid they talk about sex. (laughs) But talking about death, talking about your loss and grief was everywhere. Whereas Mm -hmm. in today, we never, exactly, it's the opposite. We never, we rarely, I guess, um, talk about death and grief where we don't know how to approach coworkers. No. Um, but sex is everywhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because we, we were talking about this before we started the podcast that, you know, and, and this might be a regional thing, um, you know, the way people handle funerals and going back to culture as well. I mean, obviously, if you come from a strong Irish background, you're going to have a different interaction with a funeral and with mourning and grief than, say, you know, a more secular upbringing um i guess that's the best term to use in this point but i've been to funerals before of family members where my extended family showed up in jeans and a t-shirt now of course like i was raised you will wear dark colors you will wear a dress you will look nice you will look respectful and even if i wasn't going into a church you know even if we were just at a funeral home and everything happened there People showed up super casual. And, and you know, and the idea of wearing a black hat with a veil to cover mm-hmm. your face, even mm-hmm. as a widow or someone who is in, like, you know, very close level of grief or mourning, you don't see that anymore. And people are actually expected to laugh, right. to eat, <laughs> to socialize with people. You know, when, you know, I've been very fortunate that I, that the funerals I have attended have never been that close into my personal family they've always been more distant relatives but talking about it from like this morning perspective with the civil war it, it it's really kind of crazy how we interact with death today because you are not expected to really grieve you're right. expected to you know 
be chipper and carry on exactly. and post funny gifs on uh, or gifs right. for everyone's you might like write in it's and get annoyed uh, who you know express humor when you know at this point in time people were very open about it and mm-hmm. the grief and and mourning it's actually i'm totally going off topic now but this makes me think that um prince harry actually just did a podcast about That's mental health right. and grief and grieving about mother, his mother right. and how he for so long tried to bury it mm-hmm. and 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 not acknowledge it and it really did a number on mm-hmm. him where you know at this point in time even though there was very strict structured social mores and expectations it's like at least with this you were given the time right. to go through that process right. it's fascinating yeah it really is it really mm-hmm. is okay so moving on from social of, of morning and the I different should, stages before oh, yeah. we get away from the stages i realized i didn't actually answer your question <laughs> i kind of went on a tangent and it's, it's hard to do fascinating so, tangent so, though i love because <laughs> it is it is a question that i get um every time i present or mm-hmm. interpret morning how long were the stages oh yeah <laughs> so it's okay now looking at at specifically the civil war um <laughs> Funnily enough, in the Work Woman's Guide, mm-hmm. um, published eighteen thirty eight, they actually do give um, suggested hmm. lengths of time, and they emphasize before the author goes through the suggested lengths. They say, "Here are the suggestions, but obviously, do what is best for you." Hmm. And that one um, does give about a year for mourning a husband. Okay. Um, full morning, deep full morning. morning. Okay. Yeah. And shorter lengths of time for that, usually in, in about six months sort of thing. Um, and that could be for a cousin or a grandparent. Um, but again, there's that emphasis on, you know, here's the guidelines, but do, do what, do do what you. works for you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So and I see that again and again in the the magazines of the time in all of the popular literature that people are reading again you get here's the ideal but you have to do what works for your reality mm. how long would light or half morning last that again can be very much up to the person for example if you're mourning somebody not close to you you could you'd go straight to the light morning okay. um, skipping the the deep morning entirely and it could be a few weeks um but again, it is really fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, though, when President Lincoln is assassinated, that is somebody you wouldn't go into deep or even light or half mourning for because mm-hmm. you're not actually related to him. He's mm-hmm. your president, but you're not related to mm-hmm. him. So what you see actually becoming very common is for people to wear cockades or oh, rosettes yeah. made out of... Um, a material called crepe, and often with tiny, tiny little tintypes of President Lincoln. Fascinating. Okay, yeah. well, since you brought it up, mm-hmm. let's talk about crepe. Oh, boy. Uh, sometimes spelled to make it look like crap. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I, I think this is an important thing, and, and I've heard you talk about this, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing for the 18th century yeah. as well. I think a lot of people make the assumption that if it is black fabric, it is for mourning, and that is not the case. Crepe, though, is almost always for mourning, isn't it? It is. Um, and what is it? Let's, okay, let's, let's, sure. let's actually talk about sure. what it is first. So yeah, Abby mentioned the, the funny spelling. 
most often when referring to crepe for morning, it is spelled C-R-A-P-E. I have seen C-R-E-P-E before, but usually it's with an A. Or is that just for the baked good? <laughs> oh, no, now we're getting even, even more layers. Yeah. Crepe. <laughs> the crepe. Right, yeah. but crepe with an A. And for full morning, it's not just about all black everything. You know, it's not just the black gown, the black collar the black veil and the black bonnet, it's that those fabrics do not reflect light. And I think there was an article recently about that like blacker than black yeah. paint that came out yeah. where it actually absorbs light. That's the idea that they're going for with yeah. full mourning. Um, so two questions with that. Mm-hmm. One, what is what fiber content is crepe? Because I've heard sure. of I've heard of two. And you can do either Yeah, usually the crepe will be silk. Mm-hmm. Um for the dress fabrics, they're often a silk wool blend. Okay. And what's crepe? You know, you understand the weaving process of crepe because mm-hmm. it's a very specific uh, weave and texture and, and spin it to is. it. It's really yarn. interesting. So when you look at crepe from the period, it has a really deeply crinkled appearance. But the crinkling, if that's a word, like is it. on the bias. So the, the rows of crimping or crinkling that are put into it are put on the bias it doesn't go you know down the length of the fabric or across the fabric it goes diagonally across the fabric and is the yarn spun the yarn the crinkle to it the they are tightly twisted yarns but the fabric itself is then put through a mechanical biasing oh. process that that puts it in there and then the the fabric is then finished um, with glue or treacle or other wonderful things mm-hmm. that take the shine out of the oh. silk. And again, that's that non-reflective thing that they're going for with deep mourning. Why did they not want the textiles? Because I, I was also, when I was reading up on mourning, uh, I read somewhere that they might even cover reflective surfaces. Mm-hmm. And there was some, you know, superstition around that. And I, you know, you know how right. I am. I'm usually <laughs> like, if it's like, they I all know. did this, or it's superstition, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, they they do cover... Is there a reason why it was matte black versus shiny black? I think it just goes to, you know, that's that's really the most... The easiest way that you can not draw attention to yourself, basically, Mm. um, by having no reflective textures. um, Because the idea, especially with that heavy crepe veil that women will uh, wear in full morning is to basically create a shield for yourself or mm. a hedge of protection. <laughs> um, Expand the bubble of exactly, personal space. Exactly, <laughs> so that you can continue, if you have to go out in public, you can continue to be um, you know, shielded from strangers. They will know immediately by seeing you, okay, this is a woman who is grieving. I'm not going to speak to her. It would actually be... It would not be polite to say, I'm sorry for your loss, ma'am, if you didn't know that person. You yeah. really are not in the habit in the mid-19th century of approaching people you don't know yeah. um, to begin with. <laughs> polite. So, exactly, it is. So for her, she's saying to the world, I'm in. I'm deeply grieving and I don't want to be bothered. That makes sense. The crepe. So, so your gown's going to be made out of crepe? Your, your gown is probably going to be trimmed with crepe if okay. it has trimming on it. But the gown itself is probably made from a silk wool blend, either okay. barege for summer, because that's going to be sheer. 
But bombazine is one that you see come yeah. up a lot. Oh, you see that. Yeah, you're right. Because yes. you see that in the uh, 18th century, Even too. in the 18th century, yes. Bombazine, barege, those are Do you want to talk huge. about what bombazine is? Because you probably know more about it than I do. <laughs> That's also a silk wool blend fabric. So throwing the wool in there helps get rid of any sheen again. Mm-hmm. So those are very, very common um, full morning fabrics. And then trimmed with crepe. So if you're going to trim your gown in full morning, you'll put crepe on it, probably in bands or quillings, Mm -hmm. so kind of those undulating pleats. And that's the only crepe that is quote-unquote allowed during full morning. Okay. But your collar, your undersleeves, if that's the style you're going for, or the cuffs will be made out of um, crepe. Unless, here's to throw the wrench in, again, proving that... You know, as Barbosa says, they're they're really just guidelines. Yeah. Um, Welcome to fashion. Exactly. Industry. They're all guidelines. <laughs> they are all guidelines. In England, the writers and Godi say it's actually m- more fashionable for widows to wear in full mourning white collar and cuffs, which in America wouldn't a... be wouldn't be considered full mourning. It would be more considered a later stage, maybe mm. you know, getting into that lighter second stage of mourning. So that's showing geographical um, differences that I kind of mentioned. And even from Philadelphia, which is considered still with its Quaker roots to be kind of plain, compared to New York, where New York Mm -hmm. is adopting these sort of British tendencies. Um, So that's that's a full morning difference there. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. Um, So what about textiles to wear during half morning? you can use shiny things. That greatly expands, yes. Yeah. So you see gowns um, being advertised that are made out of taffeta mm-hmm. already by that time. So okay. there's there's not the same concern with the, the sheen of the materials, okay. but you see the colors. Um, again, shades of purple, gray, white being brought in there. One of my favorite things are actually calico, you know, printed cottons that mm. are specifically made for the morning market that are prints done in purples and blacks and whites. Unfortunately, with my overactive imagination, all I can think of when you say that is going to Joanne's and buying like a Halloween <laughs> oh, print no. with like little skeletons on it. That like, would the be purple awesome. And it's like, this is my half morning. It's like, no, Abby, that's just your brain being weird. <laughs> so, But you've mo- you've made yourself a full morning because I've mm-hmm. seen you in it. Yes. And it was terrifying. <laughs> it was, some, it yeah. was one of those like, that's so beautiful. It's terrifying. It can be really unsettling. Because you had the veil down. Yeah, with the veil it's, down, it's pretty unsettling. It, it is It is actually woman in black. Like, what it what is. that what the ghost, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. is wearing in woman in black is full It really is mourning. Yeah, yeah, um, And then you recently made a half mourning. I did, mm-hmm. out of printed calico. Oh, that was? Um, I thought that was taffeta. Well, I, I have two. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, okay. so I have a, a silk half mourning gown that is black with a white window check, window pane check. Mm. And then I've got um, the one that I wore very recently in March was a calico print where it was purple awesome. and grays and black. So that was really Fun. nice to finally have. And yeah. that's great. Awesome. So what about jewelry? Because I know this is something that you <laughs> are always looking into. Yeah. And I'm sure one day you'll have a massive um, morning jewelry collection. Let's, Because I know it ties into the, the lack of shiny. It does. But people well, we have a couple things. We have like jet jewelry to mm-hmm. wear for morning, but then we also have memento more mm-hmm. going on with, and hair jewelry and, and actual rings and, and brooches. And like, cause you mentioned with, with Abraham Lincoln, like the cockade right. with the crepe and like the tintype of him in it. So, so how about we go through some morning jewelry? <laughs> do you want to start with jet first oh, or boy. do you want to start with your, uh, your rings first? <laughs> well, yeah. Morning jewelry is 
sort of like its own can of worms <laughs> in a way. And um, But there are a lot of different textures and materials that are being used. So you mentioned the jet um, becomes very popular, um, which is interesting because so it, it is reflective, um, and but it is also black. And one of the most popular sources for a jet is Whitby mm -hmm. um, in England. So Whitby jet their whole economy kind of explodes because everybody wants this Whitby jet Fashion jewelry. Makes the economy it really go does. Around. But when you want matte black jewelry, then you'll look for things like bog oak. Um, <laughs> that and lovely. I know it is. Um, and also gutta percha, which mm -hmm. is a type of rubber. Yeah, I read something. It, was, mm -hmm. it mentioned a, a rubber, and I was like, that's really, that makes total sense. Right. It's still like a really fascinating texture. Yeah, so vulcanized rubber using. comes about during this period, and they just want to make everything out of it. And so there's some jewelry that's made out of it. Um, but both bog oak and gutta percha are matte black. Um, they kind of look, they really look like plastic. Mm. Um, which So they are early forms of thermoplastics. Um, and that'll give you that matte kind of kind of thing. Could you wear this jewelry during deep mourning, or was it? Were you? I, you I'm fuzzy on yeah, how much jewelry you were. You were advised not to wear jewelry mm -hmm. during full mourning. Um, again, because plainness is sort of the order of the day when it yeah. comes to full mourning. So back to very, you know, no trim unless you're doing crepe, and really probably mm, no, no jewelry. So the. The rubber jewelry, the jet, that comes in during lighter morning. Yeah, you could save those things for, for those later periods. Or, you know, wearing a memorial thing even after mm -hmm. the, the grief has passed. And that kind of, I guess, brings up the, the memento mori, the hair jewelry, um, which is also its own, like, can of worms. Because yeah. <laughs> um, hair jewelry is not just worn for mourning, which is something that, of course, if you ever look on eBay or you whatever, it it's anywhere. everywhere. And every every seller is going to say it's a mourning hair it's, thing. But it might be, but it also might, might not. not. <laughs> but it is a, it's, a, it's an interesting token that, because I've been to several museums where I think one museum in the UK was like, here's a lock of Mary Queen of Scots hair. And it was like, I don't, yes. but it, it's such an intimate thing. It is. That it, it does seem like it's one of those things that it won't obviously rot. Right, right. <laughs> and it's a very physical, mm -hmm. tactile reminder of the physical body of the person, mm -hmm. not just, oh, this was a dress that they wore, or right. here's a piece of furniture that they owned. It, it is <laughs> this actually is their a, DNA. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's your history. Right. Like, um, you know, this is, yeah, here they are. Um, so you do see it in maybe like romantic gestures, but it is also something mm -hmm. that you do see in, and, in mourning I as mean, well. I mean, one one particular instance that comes to mind is someone comes to visit the Washingtons, Martha and George. This is post Rev War, where they're just you know at Mount Vernon, and the visitor requests a lock of Washington's hair. Martha literally pulls out her scissor, scissors, walks up to George, cuts off a you know a Here. lock, and says, "Here you go." And so there are actually dozens of That'll be $50, locks. Oh, yeah. please. There are dozens of locks of Washington's hair floating around that have been either turned into jewelry or works of art or various things. So poor guy. Yeah. It's terrible something haircut. that, you know, again is like so alien to mm -hmm. us now, but was mm -hmm. very common then. So that's just to say that just because the piece has hair in it doesn't mean it's mourning. No. But there are 
elements that show up pretty often mm-hmm. in ones that we know are mourning, and that's black enamel. The use of black yes. enamel is really common, and it usually the the, the metal color that goes with them are gold. So mm-hmm. you'll see black enamel with gold around it and often gold lettering so in memory of tends to be the most common and then in the very center you'll have the hair which is either woven or it could be in a scrolling design Um, those kinds of um, palette work is what it's called because it's not three-dimensional that's when you get into bracelets that are like completely woven out of hair (laughs) so there's different there's different forms of hair work whether it's that two-dimensional where you're kind of using it to make designs or whether it's three-dimensional and you're making watch chains or bracelets or earrings or brooches or anything else out of that have you ever tried making hair jewelry i have it did not go well (laughs) um my experience has been that there are people today who professionally do hair work yeah it is gorgeous so um I met a woman last year at Gettysburg who will gladly take some of your hair and make it. And actually, when I cut my hair very short um, many years ago, I still have that hair, which mm-hmm. I hope to combine with my husband's at some point mm-hmm. and make into something. But yeah, there are people who still do it. However, it seems to be a closely guarded secret. kind of secret. I have not. There are books from the period about doing the three-dimensional work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have not, as of yet, found any um, manuals or anything for doing two-dimensional work. Um, which, if anybody knows of, that would be great. <laughs> Let's talk. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very difficult to work with the hair because um, it doesn't have a lot of. It's very. I mean, my hair is very straight. Yeah. But also, trying to manipulate it is quite difficult. Yeah. And I've so. tried to manipulate. Your hair before right, and it right. broke and me, and I yeah. was almost pretty, in tears. It's pretty tough. Um, <laughs> Your hair is like, no, I will do what I want, which it's is like, no, please, straight. No, please, please, and it's like, nope. So but, I'm happy to leave that to professionals. Um, okay. But I, I have a piece of morning jewelry, of morning hair jewelry that I that is that I really love because um, on the back it has the woman's name and her death date as well. Whew. So someday I want to do like a genealogical um, research into her um, just because I think it's so wonderful because there are most of the pieces that you're going to find online don't have any name or any provenance associated with them. So I at least have her name and I think that's really wonderful um, to have that connection to somebody. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. So um, Memento Mori rings, like the golden enamel rings. Mm -hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, because like I said, this is not my time period, nor is mourning something that I'm interested in. And you know this, I've, it's always been, that's Samantha's, <laughs> that's Samantha's like expertise, that's what she does. Um, but I did read, and I've come across this before, that they sometimes like these memento mori rings were given out at funerals mm-hmm. as like tokens. So they're not necessarily, were they something that you actually wore or was it more just like a keepsake to be like, I was here and this happened and I participated in it and this is something that I've, I'm keeping mm-hmm. as a reminder of that event in my life. Yeah, I think it, I think it can be both. Um, in terms of the gift giving, um, you see so much of that really, I guess more so before the Civil War. For example, in the 16th century, that is huge. It's rings, it's gloves. Um, it is um, gowns and cloaks. Um, so if you were wealthy and you died, you could leave um, money to have gowns and cloaks made 
to be given to poor people to walk in your funeral. <laughs> As like sort of this example of here's my wealth, I'm outfitting these poor people. Um, so that could be one way that poor people are able to accumulate clothing but yeah gloves are a huge one and rings as well yeah it makes sense in the civil war just because of the nature of the civil war Mm -hmm. that the idea of giving out something basically superfluous right it it doesn't make sense for the economy at the time so so you do see beforehand but during this time yeah i haven't come across it as much um in the mid 19th century but it is very common um earlier on Mm -hmm. yeah awesome Mm -hmm. so so we have jewelry we have crepe, widow's weeds. Mm-hmm. What are they? Because <laughs> um, we know that at this time, women are wearing bonnets and hats right. and head coverings. But there is something known as widow's weeds. Mm-hmm. And it is different than that. It, and it has some very distinct, other than crepe. It is, right. <laughs> but there are um, some stylistic distinctions between it and just a normal bonnet or hat. There are. So this is something that, you know, again, only widows really would wear and even more specific than that it's much more common in england than in america interesting i have no idea about (laughs) that yeah so again um victoria you know you can't yeah you can't even think of victorian being you know around the world there are things that are very specific to england that you just don't see in america however um and the writers of fashion magazines do comment that it is making its way over to america okay. before the civil war mm-hmm. and um, one of them says something like you know it doesn't cause as much of a stir now as it did when we saw it a few years ago oh. um and it is essentially um you know a widow's cap mm-hmm. And it's going to be white, which I think a lot of people are surprised by. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the widow in full mourning is going to be completely in black, except for her white cap. cap. And that is one thing that's very distinct about these widows who choose to do this, um, is that the cap is white while everything else is black. And the cap can be made of crepe. In this instance, it would be white crepe. Or it can be made of tarlatan. Um, which is kind of like a, a muslin, mm-hmm. um, a white muslin, and is it is it does it have body added to it? Like it a, does, like so a burgundy, it, like yes. A so it's quite it's quite stiff because it's going to be manipulated a lot. Um, one thing that you see again and again is this reference to quilling. Mm-hmm. So these very you know tightly gathered um, sort of it's in between gathers and pleats. It's kind of hard to explain if you think of like cartridge pleating sort yeah. of. Um, that kind of, is it a pleat? Is it a gather? It's both. Um, All of the above. <laughs> it is. And so the, these quillings of crepe or quillings of tarlatan are what frame the face. Um, so that's put on the edge or the brim of the cap. Um, and people talk about the close quilling of her cap and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. And another element um, of the widow's cap that you see over and over again are lappets. So those are kind of like, I don't know, long bunny tails that kind of like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it that like hang down from Mm -hmm. the back so you'd kind of have like one on each side falling over Mm -hmm. your shoulders and they tend to be pretty long they'll probably reach to about the bust line um and they even though the fabric is fine they tend to have a pretty deep hem around the three edges Mm. and those will those will hang down and so that's another pretty common aspect of Are they crepe caps. too, or are they like a... They're the same material, whatever okay. the cap is made okay. of, yeah. So even white? 
and and white. Oh, mm-hmm. I was so you're gonna have these like black, pretty much so. white streamers hanging down on either side of you. White bunny ears. Um, yeah, your your white bunny ears are like kind of like I don't know pigtails on either side. <laughs> I know no one can see this right now. I know, but I'm... Samantha's playing with her hair like they're lappets <laughs> right now. She's yeah, talking like, about here, it. Look. Um, so yeah, you'll have you'll have that that one one uh, thing that I noticed looking at images of widow's caps is how much the lappets looked like um, clergymen's falling bands. Yeah. So clergymen of the 18th and 19th yeah. century will wear this sort of neckwear, kind of like a, you know a tie or a cravat, where the ends are that same kind of re- long rectangle with the wide hem around oh, it, and they're yeah. white. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's actually any connection there. It was just something that stood it's, out to but me. But it is interesting. It is interesting. There's an yeah. interesting connection there. Um, so I've talked about the widow's caps as being you know this separate head covering. You know we think of caps of the 18th century and things like that. So those exist, but confusingly enough, because it's fashion history, um, there's another type of widow's cap, which is permanently attached to the bonnet. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's, yeah. Let's so take a, let's take a yeah. breather right there. We'll, we'll back it up. <laughs> so for those of you all listening at home and may or may or not be familiar with, with the wide variety of millinery in the 18th and 19th century, and that's not millineries and hats, it's millinery in general. Caps are not necessarily bonnets, are not necessarily hats, mm. right? Right, that's same, good. So. Yeah, that's good to point so, out. <laughs> there's a bunch of different things going on, but this cap yeah, so is attached permanently. It's attached to the bonnet. bonnet. So this is why it's good to research the decades before the Civil War, because it's going to help explain why this exists. Mm -hmm. So previous to the Civil War, um, in the 19th century, so 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, it was fashionable for women to wear caps. Caps. Yes, they did. They loved their frilly caps. They loved their crazy caps. They did. (laughs) And so you would wear your cap and you would wear your bonnet over it. Now, by the time that the Civil War comes around, it is less fashionable. It is not super fashionable for women to wear caps anymore. I was gonna say I don't really yeah. like when I think of Civil War. I don't right. visually dressed recall. hair. It's kind of yeah. like almost like the Regency. You it know, is where 18th century caps were the thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone wore them for day wear. Mm-hmm. It was just like this is what you know, right. super trendy, great piece of accessories. And then the Regency period came in, and they kind of weren't popular. They were kind of dowdy, and and then but then yeah, in like the 1820s mm-hmm. and 30s, it's like all about the cap. It was just like an explosion of frills Literally. on your head, right. and that's not an exaggeration. And right. then, so then we're getting to like the fifties and the sixties, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and, and it kind of fades. It's starting to fade out now. They're definitely, and again, it's so confusing. Um, there are still headdresses that are fashionable to wear, mm-hmm. but in my mind, and I also think in the mind of a woman of the period, it's different from the cap her grandma wore. Uh, yeah. So the I cap grandma wore was muslin, linen, white, opaque. Mm. A headdress that you might wear fashionably for dinner or what have you would be lace and ribbons and not necessarily opaque. Um, I don't know how better to describe it, but it would be more of just sheer. Yeah, it would just be this sort of confection to Mm complement 
what your, how your hair is styled as it's opposed the, to covering it. It's the cherry on top it, of your yes, fabulousness. It is. <laughs> so it's not hiding your hair. It may obscure it, but it's not like, oh, I'm just going to throw my hair in a bun and put a cap on yeah, it. Yeah, which is it's, what a I'm, lot of us right, like. Yeah. So. <laughs> which is, I'm dressing my hair, I'm putting my my headdress, my whatever, mm-hmm. on top of that, and I'm going to look fab. Okay. So the cap in the, the bonnet... So the cap in the bonnet is... actually is, a, a cat cap. It's not necessarily. Okay. <laughs> it is both sort of the lining of the bonnet, and then it's a frill that frames the face. So it looks like you're wearing a bon- a cap, excuse me. <laughs> it looks like you're wearing a cap, but you're actually not. Um, and that's kind of the confusing thing. So we're not wearing caps anymore, but bonnet caps exist. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of permanent. I mean, they're attached to the bonnet, but you can remove them. You well, know, as cleaning. fashion chains and cleaning, cleaning and things yeah, like that. that. So there, there's a widow's version of this, which is that it's, again, made out of tarlatan or crepe. And then that thick quilling, hmm. that thick, tight, nice gathering. So it looks like you're wearing a widow's cap, even if you're not actually wearing an entire cap. So I hope that makes sense. I know it's very confusing. It makes sense. We can always add okay. pictures to the okay, blog great. post if you want to send something because my way to help when I this When specially. I was writing my paper for the conference, I was not really aware of the second version where it's attached to the cap. But you did it this, you talked about it though the second time you presented this paper. I, I did. Well, twice yeah, so I, I did talk about it the first mm-hmm. time, but I said, I just found this out. And oh. I'm letting you all know I just found this out and I want to revisit it. So since then, I've gone back to the 1850s and they talk more about this bonnet cap that's, that's so, inside that's the amazing. bonnet. That's but so it's, fascinating. And obviously you wouldn't wear both at once because that would just be like too much stuff on your head under your bonnet. Yeah. So it's one, it's either or. Mm. And bonnet caps exist in bonnets that are not for mourning. Um, again, being that sort of partial lining and that frill around mm-hmm. the face. The yeah, and to have that kind of light white color around your face, just very you know, complimentary mm-hmm. um, yeah. to the woman. So um, you know the difference, though, when you look at it, because, again, going back to the whole matte versus shiny. Yes. If it's a matte bonnet and it's made out of crepe, mm-hmm. and even if it has a white ruffle in it, like for it the, could the quote still, unquote cap, it, right. it could still be full mourning. Yeah. Um, and, and crepe is specified for full mourning bonnets. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, hats are not um, recommended or fashionable for full mourning. Probably. I would major, imagine it's probably because there would be too, too much, like either too big. I or... think two hats um, are considered less formal yeah. than bonnets. That's interesting. Yeah. So the hat with a brim around it is really the purview of the young, fashionable woman. Mm. If I was middle aged, I probably would not wear a hat during this mm. time period. It's just. A little, little too fashionable. I would be a great phrase that they love in the 19th century is mutton dressed as lamb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, bless. So you'd, you'd probably be good with your bonnets if you're middle-aged or later. But if you're a fashionable young woman, um, a hat is perfectly acceptable. So bonnets... Just not in mourning. Right. You just don't usually see them um, mm-hmm. for full mourning. But bonnets, absolutely. Again, made out of crepe. Covered in crepe. So for those listening at home that want to go to a Civil War reenactment or any sort of event like Remembrance Day in Gettysburg, mm-hmm. um, things like that, what do you recommend for them to do to build, if they want to say experiment with like half morning or mm-hmm. they want to experiment with making a full morning gown, 
um, for pro- or maybe someone who's working at a Civil War house museum and they are listening to this and they go, oh, it would be really great to actually have an outfit to show what the lady of the house was wearing when she found out her, her husband passed away, say in like the Battle of Gettysburg or something. What do you recommend for, for those listening to build their, other than everything we talk about, if you are to like summarize it, what do they need to look for? What do they need to do? What, what are your recommendations for them? Well, my first recommendation is, um, actually has nothing to do with the actual <laughs> clothes. It would be to approach this with the utmost respect mm-hmm. um, because it it just deals with something that is so personal that I really think that there needs to be a lot of respect in the impression. And that means conducting yourself, if you mm-hmm. are wearing mourning, uh, yeah. conducting yourself um, like you're actually in like morning. you're actually in mourning, even if you're even if you're not doing a first person thing, but just acting respectfully, show respect for what you're wearing. And the best analogy I can give for this is for the men who reenact and wear uniforms, even though they're not actually in the armed forces. I would hope that they are showing respect for the uniform and for the men who had died wearing that yeah. uniform. And the same respect should be given to to the women who lost mm. loved ones and who wore essentially a uniform mm. to show their grief. That's 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 gonna make me cry. That's so amazing. Like you think about because it, it is that was how it was the woman's uniform during mm-hmm. that time. You know she is fighting the emotional battle as well yeah. as just taking care of business at home right. and trying to to survive. I mean, depending on where you're located. It was com- devast- just beyond devastating, mm-hmm. something that we don't even understand right. today. And and it is a uniform. It's saying, it, it's almost like, um, you know, people putting yellow stars. Mm. On, you know, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's right. the gold star family. Right. I was getting the yellow ribbon. Yeah. The yeah, gold yeah. stars. <laughs> in my kind of like, no, I need to separate Exactly. Them. It's, it's like a gold star family. You mm-hmm. They deserve respect. Mm-hmm. And if you see a gold star, you, you they did you owe them that respect. Right. And so exactly. mourning is the same way. It's it's like saying, I am representing someone in my country who suffered mm-hmm. for my country, mm-hmm. for the betterment of my country, and right. they deserve that kind of respect. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's just really important because, I don't know, it's just easy to lose mm-hmm. sight of because we think so much, oh, well, I'm dressing up. You yeah, know. it's time to be like fun right. and have a good time and if you're say at an event and you're with your friends and you're, yeah. you want to laugh and have a good time but it is something where if a if a guest or or a um someone who's dressed in civilians let's say <laughs> let's put it that way in their civvies and they see you and and they talk to you and you say oh i'm dressed in half morning you know this is what someone would wear da, 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 da. and then all of a sudden you look at your friends you're like hey oh yeah. my god you look amazing look right. at you girl and then it's like Ooh, even yeah. if you're not in character, that right. that's a really hard disconnect there yeah. from from the severity of what you're actually talking mm-hmm. about. Okay, so respect. What yeah. other things do you recommend? Um, and then I guess it would be important to kind of decide, you know, which stage, which degree of mourning you want to interpret mm-hmm. um, at that time. Now, unfortunately, if you want to do full mourning, real, true, honest to goodness, crepe does not exist anymore unless you buy antique stuff which please don't like use it actually um um 
But luckily, there is a pretty decent substitute, um, and we can put a link up. Okay. Um, to you pass me that link. Yes. So I can um, that that I'm happy to share. Um, that gives very very you know really close approximation, considering mm. it just doesn't exist anymore. Well, and that's the like struggle of <laughs> right. you know historic dress and costuming today is going. So I need to make it out of this, and that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. Great. Yeah. Fabulous. So this, this is actually pretty good. I mean, for me, having handled original crepe, um, you know, one of the main differences between um, this modern crepe is that the crinkle is not on the bias, which yeah. only if you're a total dork like me would you even <laughs> notice that. Um, and it's not as stiff. Mm. Um, I don't think a lot of fabric is stiff no. as it used to be. I don't... Because I don't know if you saw where it, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but the original 1820s gown that my mother right, found, right. when we steamed that, it went from being uh, what we're used to calling like a, a loot string today, mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's like nice and thin silk taffeta right. and it's great. And then all of a sudden it was like paper. <laughs> it was like it's so stiff and mm-hmm. paper. And it was like, okay, whatever gum or sizing yes, within here, yes. that steam reactivated it. And it mm-hmm. had a completely different sheen to it, a different handle to it. And it's something that you don't see in fabrics no, today. No. So, so yeah, yeah, so that's frustrating. But luckily, there's this, you know, pretty pretty good substitute. <laughs> good substitute. So, um, so there's that. Um, I would also, you know, again, if you're gonna do full morning fabrics without sheen. Now, of course, like real crepe, bombazine and barege, forget about <laughs> don't it. Don't exist anymore either. Um, I usually, usually. My full morning dress is made out of just plain black worsted because mm. it, it's just, it, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have the sheen to it. Um, and that would seem like a logical jump. Yes, it's like if you can't afford crepe or you can't afford a new gown, mm-hmm. you could always dye a simple wool mm-hmm. worsted wool gown. Black. Right, and you and you that do would be see a really good substitute. Yeah, and you do see um, advertisements for. Um, companies that will dye your clothes. I mean, not today in the in the 19th century. Um, companies that will dye your clothes. It's like Ghost Joanne's. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Can someone dye this black for right. me? Right. Right. Like, <laughs> but um, you know, the, that bringing up that economic thing is just is is really good because there's this one woman in the Civil War named Kate Stone. She's a daughter of a wealthy Louisiana planner, so she had you know mm-hmm. whatever she wanted. However, once the Civil War hits. Um, her brother is killed in action, and she says, we're having such a hard time finding black cloth that I'm gonna have to come out of mourning because we just can't afford it, because I can't get the fabric. Can't even get, yeah. So she says, wow. even though I, I emotionally feel like I should still be grieving for my brother, I just physically can't because we can't get the fabric. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's you know full, full mourning fabrics. Um, your options obviously expand if you look into doing half or yeah. lighter mourning. Um, I found, you know, a great, um, the black and white silk taffeta that I have. Um, luckily for those of us who do mid-19th century, there are so many um, reproduction quilting fabric companies. That is true. It's a lot easier for it the 19th is. century it than really this for the 18th century. Um, and I was able to find actually a, a whole collection um, called... Um, Fugitive Purples and Morning Grays, which was a whole... I know, it was a whole collection of, wow. of morning prints. Um, wow. I know. 
That's amazing. It was it was pretty sweet. Awesome. Um, so so those sorts of things are out there, um, and that's that's a little easier to do. Um, what about if you wanted to make a bonnet cap? Is there a pattern out there for that, or do you just need to there, kind of adapt? There isn't. Um, but how did you make yours? For so which. The bon- <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> okay, I should when, say like, that. When I think of you in like in your deep morning. Mm-hmm. I I just see the black black crinoline <laughs> lady sure. in black Samantha creepily so walking down if, the aisleway. If you buy um, a pattern or a kit for an authentic 1860s bonnet, there should be instructions for decorating and finishing it. And the sort of ruffle that you would put in there is basically the bonnet cap. Okay. Um, and that can be, I guess, you know, if you're doing full mourning, that should be, you know, white crepe. And the source that I have does white and black. Oh, um, that's convenient. Conveniently enough. Um, or a very fine muslin. Um, like an organdy. Like an organdy, yeah, to put in there. Now, when we when we are talking about the separate widow's cap, um, that is something that I have not yet made, though I want to, because I haven't gotten to see an original, original. from the 1860s. Yeah. The V&A or LACMA, I'll have to find that out, um, can't remember off the top of my head. They have a collection of widow's caps, but they're later. They're from mm-hmm. like the 70s and 80s, and they're different okay. in terms of their trim. So I'm holding off on that because I haven't gotten to look at one. I I think they're different enough that I wouldn't just take a regular old 1860s cap pattern and say that's good enough. I think there's some other things going on there. And figuring um, out the differences. And figuring out the differences. Excellent. So holding off on that. You're a good dress historian, <laughs> Samantha. Well, this has been wonderful and extremely fascinating. I've enjoyed every minute of this. And I've heard you talk about Civil War Morning now twice. Yeah. And I'm still sitting here just completely going... Oh, that is so <laughs> fabulous. So thank you so much for joining oh, us thank you today. For having me. We really appreciate it. And for those of you all listening at home, if you would like more information about what we talked about today, uh, you can visit our blog at, at uh, www.blog.americanduchess.com. And you can also visit Samantha's blog um, to read more about her sewing projects, uh, the different gowns that she's made, and all the other things that you do. I am not going to butcher the spelling oh. of your blog <laughs> because it's it's a lot of C's and O's and U's. Yeah, so sorry. if you would care to do that for me, I would be very appreciative. Ooh, oh boy, spelling <laughs> test. It Spell is, your own blog. Uh, the Couture Courtesan dot blogspot dot com, and that'll be C O U T U R E. <laughs> C-O-U-R-T-E-S-A-N, I think. Excellent. Yeah. I'm a nice interviewer. I'm like, you can you can spell it. <laughs> we'll also put it in the info section for our blog, too. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, and Abby. thank you all for listening. And have a good day. Bye.